Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 972. On today's show, we begin with David Lorelo welcoming Thomas Harding, reporter for MLB.com who has covered the Rockies for over two decades now. David and Thomas discuss this odd team and their odd history, as well as their hot start to the 2022 season. We hear about players like Connor Joe being a bright spot, Brendan Rodgers' slow start, CJ Crone being underrated, and Jose Iglesias defending with pure joy. Thomas also tells us about Bud Black, who just picked up win number 1,000 as a major league manager, and what an impact Chris Bryant has made on this club since signing. For Chris Bryant to say, I wanted to play for the Rockies. I think these guys are good. I think it was a good shot in the arm for a lot of the people here who are thinking we could be good, but all we hear about is Nolan Arenado, you know, wanted to leave and Trevor Story didn't want to stay. I think by bringing in a guy like Chris Bryant and Chris Bryant being down with the program, so to speak, I think it's really given a shot in the arm to some of the guys who have come through here and think they can win here just to hear that from the outside. After that, Ben Clemens and Dan Zimborski get together to catch up after Dan's vacation. The duo began by musing on the Rockies a bit, as Dan is forced to give some credit, before talking about the Mets and Cardinals rivalry and the flaring up of the unwritten rules. Ben wants to know exactly what a bench warning is, and Dan is concerned about potential ethical loopholes. The pair then traverse a number of other topics, including but not limited to Aaron Brooks being the best performing name in major sports, the difficulties in projecting foreign league players, Ben's mom's sports fandom, thinking twice about buying into Nelson Cruz's decline, Ben potentially having his identity harmlessly stolen, and Adventures and Dan responding to emails that were not meant for him. They had like this employee tracking system for HVAC technicians, like for their time to account for all their minutes. And (laughs) they wanted to like up it to make it like extremely just rude like tracking bathroom visits lunch breaks all that stuff and i i spoke up against it and i argued against it for like a week <laughs> and i i think i was doing pretty well i had some guys on my side uh, but eventually they figured out that dan zaborski and not don zaborski <laughs> i mean they emailed me what to do but before we get to these conversations i must issue you my weekly reminder for you to check out the fangraphs.com shop Not only can you scoop some of our sweet, sweet official Fangraphs merch, but you can pick up an ad-free membership for yourself or for a friend. It is the best way to browse the site at blazing fast speeds as well as support the site, helping us to do all the cool things we do. We sincerely appreciate your help. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorela. My guest is Thomas Harding, the legendary Thomas Harding, who has covered the Colorado Rockies for MLB.com. Oh boy, since the Denny Nagel days, I think. That would be, what, two decades ago, for those of you who don't remember Denny Nagel. Thomas, thanks for coming on to Fangraphs Audio. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I guess I was here before the Denny Nagel days. Uh, his era started in 01. Nagel and Hampton, I remember that. Start, I started in 00. So I've been around for quite a bit of this odd team's odd history. An odd team. I think that is something we should definitely address because a lot of people, I think, have been questioning what the Rockies' direction is. I know some people have questioned whether the Rockies know what the direction actually is. What is your take on that? Well, I think that they're off to a pretty decent start this year, obviously. There are flaws in this team as it stands. Now, I do see a bit of a direction, and you saw that with some of the contracts that have been signed, not just the Chris Bryant one, obviously, although that 
to me, that was kind of important to their process. But uh, Ryan McMahon and C.J. Crone for two years, Ryan McMahon for longer, Kyle Freeland for longer, also Antonio Senzatella, and Herman Marquez is under a long-term contract with them. So it's kind of an old-fashioned, I wrote the other day, almost reminds me of the Indians in the 90s. Kind of an old-fashioned, hey, if you've got a guy that you like, let's keep these guys together, then maybe go out and get somebody when you need them later on. So to me, it looks like a start of a program that uh, probably should have been going on earlier. But there is a direction. There are some holes, though, in this team. And we can address those in a, in a bit. You know, first you mentioned that the Rockies are off to a good start. We're talking on Tuesday afternoon. You know, the Rockies are, are 10 and 6 as we speak. So, you know, that record could be a little bit different by the time this airs. So if uh, the Rockies actually lose three in a row, it will not be Thomas's fault for saying they're off to a, a great start. <laughs> well, if they lose three in a row and they're 10 and 9, isn't that a lot better than the start that people expected? I mean, let's be honest. Some of the uh, project, some of the mathematic projections had them somewhere between 69 and 72 wins. So a team that bad probably would not be, you know, even 10 and nine at any point. So there is that. Point well taken, Thomas. Is Connor Joe the best player in in the National League, or is he just simply one of the best players? I'll tell you what, I think that there's something, and we had a story done by Manny Randall where they asked each of us to kind of come up with a stat that you could hold on to. And I think that OPS around 900 from the leadoff spot, I think it's something you can hold on to because if you go back, he looks, he seems like an out of nowhere character because he bounced around a bit in Rule 5 drafts, but this was a first round pick. So there's talent in there, and I think there's offensive talent. He has some power. Um, he has a really good idea of the strike zone. I mean, he just looks like the type of guy that um, that could keep this up during the season. Um, I remember when the Rockies signed him, I was talking to the guy with the club who's no longer there, and he was really high on Connor Joe, and it come to find that there were like 13 teams that really wanted to sign him to a minor league deal, believing that he could be a guy that could really emerge for them. No, I turned on the uh, Rockies game last night to catch some of the early innings, and uh, he had a bomb yes. on the, I believe it was the first pitch, and when I say bomb, it was a bomb. Yeah, it went a long ways, and I mean, you started seeing this last year when he came up from the minors, He they allowed him to get some playing time there, then they really needed him in the lineup, and for about two months, he put together a, a nice little piece of a season until he injured his hamstring late in the year. Maybe it was a little more than two months. And we're seeing it pick up again this year. I think going into it, what the plan was for was for Connor Joe to lead off against left-handed pitching and Charlie Blackman against right-handers. But Connor Joe has done so well with the strike zone and so well, not just at getting hits, but also um, really stinging some balls that they're sticking with him in that leadoff spot. You know, Coors Field is, of course, a great hitter's ballpark. Hitters there are, are quite often on both sides. And opponents, too, are going to have a really high batting average on balls in play. I was looking at the uh, terrible statistical start that uh, Brendan Rodgers has gotten off to. I believe it's 4 for 48, as yeah. we're speaking. I saw that he has the lowest batting average on balls in play in the National League, and frankly, it isn't even close. So I'm assuming that maybe he is hitting the ball a bit better than the batting average shows. I think a little bit better. He has had some line drives, landing gloves, um, some balls that have gone to the wrong place. 
Um, but there are some balls that he's hitting directly into the ground, and there just isn't the consistency there. He's hitting some balls into the ground, and also he's missing some balls that he's hit in the past, which kind of, for me, tells me that it's a slump. It's not a definition. So I think he will be better at some point, but um, it, it, it has been a bit vexing here. They keep playing him. Alan Trejo has gotten some playing time, but it's basically to give Rodgers kind of a breather there to try to get that swing back together. And, you know, we talked about Connor Joe just uh, a minute or two ago. He was, of course, an under-the-radar free agent sign. Another thing that stands out when you look at the Rockies roster on roster resources, where I, of course, took a look, I saw a bunch of names of guys that actually were under-the-radar free agent signs. You know, C.J. Crone, Jose Iglesias, Chad Cool, and a few others as well. The Rockies seem to be doing a pretty good job of finding these valuable pieces who really aren't big names. Uh, yeah, and I think that's something they did in the past. Like, you even go back to those 17 where some of the uh, some of the bullpen parts, like picking up a LaTroy Hawkins people like, and Matt Hurges, people like that. I think the Rockies have to be able to do that because they're not necessarily going to bid for the top free agents. I think there was a period of time where the Rockies didn't do that because they wanted to give the guys who came through the system the first opportunity. That's all well and good, but if you can get a veteran-type guy that that maybe isn't the biggest name, but he helps your roster and he makes your roster deeper, I think that's big for the Rockies because when you are totally dependent on your system, it is very hard to have depth because usually you have guys that may not be ready for the big job, trying to do a big job. So I, so I think this has been a move on the part of Bill Schmidt, first year general manager for his full year. That, that, that has been good for the club, and you would hope that that continues. And Chris Bryant is, of course, a big name who signed with the Rockies. Surprised a lot of people. I would be remiss if I don't get your perspective on him coming to Colorado. Well, I think Chris Bryant is, and it's funny because since he signed, Brian McMahon signed his extension, and so did Kyle Freeland. Chris Bryant came from the outside, and usually the Rockies are built from within, and they're usually built from within, criticized from without because of their record and their lack of success. But for Chris Bryant to say, I wanted to play for the Rockies. I think these guys are good. I think it was a good shot in the arm for a lot of the people here who are thinking, we could be good, but... All we hear about is Nolan Arenado, you know, wanted to leave and Trevor Story didn't want to stay. I think by bringing in a guy like Chris Bryant and Chris Bryant being down with the program, so to speak, I think it's really given a shot in the arm to some of the guys who have come through here and think they can win here just to hear that from the outside. Um, Bryant, I thought he started off pretty well. The swing was really sweet early in the season, but the last uh, four or five games he hasn't hit well. Now, I know by the time this comes out, he could very easily turn things around. But that's one of the things I like about this team watching it is that not everybody is tearing the cover off the ball. We've talked about Rodgers, talked about Brian. Charlie Blackman started slowly. He picked up a bit after the first um, seven or eight games. This team hasn't exactly gotten going offensively, yet they started the year well. Yeah, let's go back, Thomas, to the Nolan Arenado trade that you mentioned. I believe that happened maybe a month before spring training of last year. A lot of Rockies fans were aghast when it happened. 12, 13, 14, whatever months it is later. You know, how do you assess the deal? Because a few of the pieces that came back are actually 
pretty good. Uh, yes, I don't think that some Rockies fans will ever get over the trade of Arenado, losing the player, and also also the, uh, what is it, $51 million that they sent to the St. Louis Cardinals. But if you look at a lot of the trades from not big market teams to big market teams, the, that that's kind of what you have to do to make that trade happen. But when you do get an Austin Gomber, who has pitched really well for this club o over a couple of seasons. He pitched well at Coors Field last year. At last start in Detroit was very good. Um, also, Eleonis Montero in, in AAA, the power that he's showing. He's a third baseman. I think they're going to have to figure out something positionally or use the DH to get him here. But um, he's also playing some first. He looks like the type of prospect that, frankly, for a few years, the Rockies hadn't been producing. So... I think they're doing okay with the trade, considering that it had to happen as unhappy as Arenado was here with the um, with the old regime and and all that was going on. It probably was the best move for the Rockies, and they're making the best of it. And Montero ranks pretty high in uh, our prospect rankings at Fangraphs. He's somewhere around five or six. A few guys who rank, I believe, even higher or maybe right below him, you know, guys like Zach Veen, Drew Romo. And uh, a guy I'm very interested in is uh, Ezekiel Tobar. When I was in uh, Arizona for some Arizona Fall League games, a few people that I spoke to said, this kid is going to be really good. Uh, yeah, and probably when you were there, you could see him defensively. And, then, and I had gone down the instructional ball right before you had gone down. And they thought that he could play in the major leagues at shortstop right now with his range and his arm. The, the arm has been, if you look at some of the, at least the highlights from the minor leagues, the arm is really good and it's accurate and it's strong. But what happened in spring training, he showed up um, a little bit more physical player than what you saw in the fall league. And he had an outstanding spring. And so he went from a guy that, uh, gee, will he get a late season call up to a guy that you wonder, um, he's already playing pretty well at double A in Hartford. You, you wonder if maybe the need came up. Do they go ahead and pull the trigger and bring him up here a little bit early? I go back to the days of Troy Tulowitzki, what they did with him. I think it was the year after he was drafted. He was drafted in 05 and in 06. They brought him up in August rather than September and said, okay, we want you to have at least two months to get your feet wet in the major leagues because we want you to be our shortstop. Um, is Tovar that type of player? Because he signed out of Latin America and he signed so young and he was a switch hitter when he signed and now he's a right-handed hitter. He didn't have the same hype coming in, but if he continues to do the things he's done offensively, I would not be surprised to see that happen late in the season. And he will probably never be Trevor Story offensively. I think that would, would be a reach. Jose Iglesias, who is essentially replacing Story, is also not that type of offensive player. But from, you know, I've seen Iglesias play from his double uh, A days in the Red Sox system. And I find him to be the most joyous defender in the infield, maybe, that I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, he, he he does defend with joy in the infield. I mean, I think with this club also, he's put together, the, the average isn't up there. I can't remember what it is, but he's batting low in the order. He's put together some decent at-bats. And from talking to Connor Joe, some of the things that Iglesias does in the box when the order comes back around, it really gives him more information for his at-bats. So when you bring in veterans, it's not the guy who's going to just go into the dressing room and you know, do a rah-rah speech or anything. Sometimes it's just the professional way you handle things. When I watch him as a defender, I think back to last, the end of last season where he was very good at second base for the Boston Red Sox. 
I'm not sure that the range is still there at shortstop like uh, like a team like the Rockies need where they want to put away all the ground balls. But I think when you look at the net positives of him, he's a good guy to have in the lineup right now. And uh, my understanding was that, that Tovar really looked up to him in spring training, and that helped some of his comfort and development. And speaking of the, the lineup, Thomas, uh, C.J. Crone, I looked up and saw that he has the same WRC plus since the beginning of last year. Let's see what the list is. Mookie Betts, Carlos Correa, Manny Machado, and Giancarlo Staten. Now, I'm not suggesting that C.J. Crone is the equal of any of those as hitters in the, in the grand scheme, but should people be talking about C.J. Crone more often? Yeah, I think that they should. And there are a couple of things that, that I've noticed about him. And we actually talked about this. I did an article during spring training. Early last year, and if you look at last year's numbers, there was a, definitely a split between home and road, as often happens with the Colorado Rockies, because it's, su it's such a different environment. And going back and forth is really tough for hitters. But the second half of, la of last year, his road performance really picked up. And I, I'm not sure people really understood that because the the overall numbers were good, but it was very easy to say, yeah, he hits a course field. The road numbers picked up. You, you see a good plan in the batter's box. You see a guy that is really attuned to hitting mistakes. I mean, he has a very simple approach in the batter's box. I think that uh, that what we're seeing from him is a guy who never really had a lot of opportunity to play regularly. I know he did a lot of DHing with, with the Angels, but always kind of felt like he was behind Albert Pujols. I think this is a guy who's finally getting his chance, and he's bringing some knowledge to the game there that's, that's helping him quite a bit and helping the Rockies lineup. And while we're giving love to uh, some Rockies players that a lot of people around the country don't pay much attention to, Chad Cool has a 1.10 ERA in his first three starts. Uh, yes, and he's a guy that he was with the Pirates, and they liked him a lot. But after his battle with COVID last year, he comes back, and they use him in the bullpen. And they're like, how about you go to the bullpen with us? And he felt like there was more to him as a starting pitcher and he was not really very warm to the idea, which led to the Pirates going ahead and non-tendering him. Since he's gotten here, I, I've really liked what I've seen because instead of coming to the Rockies thinking, well, you know, this team isn't very good. I've got talent that, that that's going to lift them to another level. He came in and talked to um, Bud Black and Daryl Scott, the pitching coach. It's like, okay, what do I need to get to the next level? And you're starting to see some of those things, attacking the strike zone and then letting the ball do its movement as opposed to missing the strike zone, which you saw a lot of at times in Pittsburgh. He knew that walks were, were a problem for him. Um, he's done some very little things mechanically that have helped. But that's what that, that's another thing that that the Rockies, I think, are a bit underrated at because they're always getting in players that maybe didn't quite make it in another place. It seems like they do give information to make guys just a little bit better. Obviously, they don't have enough of those guys. They get better enough, which is why their records have been what they are. But I do like the idea that it's a very coaching-oriented organization. And we only have a few more minutes here. I know, Thomas, you need to get off to something. But you mentioned Bud Black. Bud just got his 1,000th managerial win earlier this year. Can you share a good Buddy Black anecdote with us? I'll tell you what. It, it seems like he is um, you know, full of them, the, just, the, just the way he has worked. But I go back to in spring training, 
and he was asked about these pitchers, Freeland, Senzatel, and Marquez, guys that he had that actually were rookies when Buddy Black got here. And he even choked up slightly during his discussion about how the talks with them have gotten so much more mature, how how these pitchers have taken a lot of what he's taught them and gotten better. And this is a guy who, um, Bud Black, who is hard on pitchers and hard on catchers. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't give them a quarter. And, and there were times early in their career where he had some tough conversations with people, but they ended up better. And I think that when you look at this group of pitchers that they've had, that when they went to the postseason a couple of times and even since then, I don't think that the pitching, with the exception of some parts of 2019, I don't think the pitching has dropped off. It's been a lot of the other things, or at least the starting pitching. The bullpen struggled. It's back now. They're hoping to have a better offensive performance than they've had the last two years. But the starting pitching has kind of been the key here. And really, it's almost like they're Bud Black's children, so to speak, at the major league level. Yeah, two more questions, Thomas, both ballpark related. Coors Field has been on my bucket list for a long time. I have still not made it there. Just how great is Coors Field? It is absolutely beautiful. If you sit on the, let's see, right field side, I think in foul ground, it's hard because some developers built some apartments, but you could maybe see the Rocky Mountains from there. The Denver sunshine they talk about, you know, they talk about more days of sunshine in Denver than in Florida. I think it's a real thing. You will see some really unusual things. And I think to come here and watch a series, then you get a little bit better understanding of how big the outfield is and how balls drop in the outfield. And then I think if you traveled with the team, you would understand also the effects of the altitude on the body even. So it's it's an odd and special place. It's a place that's often maligned, but I think when you come to Coors Field, it's it's a well-kept ballpark because the way that the uh, lease was written, the Rockies are responsible for the upkeep of the ballpark. So you don't have things like what happened in Atlanta where they're saying, you know, Turner Field's falling apart, we need a new one, or what happened in Arizona over the over the last few years. So it's it, it's a good quality ballpark and when you're in there, you if you were here in 2000, 2010, or now, it's the same ballpark, still well-kept. I know that they draw very well there. The opening series against the Dodgers was 40,000-plus uh, for all three games. And uh, even if it wasn't snowing, any time that you draw like that in the first series after opening day is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, it is. And, and it, Well, a lot of it – now, I will say this about Denver. A lot of it has to do with the fact that you have a lot of fans of other teams here. I mean, it goes back to before baseball was in Denver. You had a lot of Dodgers fans or Cardinals fans or Cubs fans because of what they saw on, on television. And I think the Rockies, with some of their variable pricing, frankly, they take advantage of that to make sure that those crowds are big for teams that uh, th that have a lot of fans in the Denver area. But I just remember the series last year where the Rockies played the Cardinals. I believe they won two of three. And there were a lot of cheers for Nolan Arenado, and a lot of red, there was a lot of red in the stands. The cheers were a lot louder at the end of the game, and I joked that what a lot of the folks did was they took off their Arenado jerseys, and they had a Trevor Story jersey beneath it, and they started cheering. So it's a lively fan base, and, and sometimes they're angry because they come out and, and the team isn't as good as they, maybe they expect it to be, but it's a great fan base to have.
No, that's a perfect segue, Thomas, for uh, for my last the last thing to bring up. You mentioned angry fans. You tweeted last night something that I wasn't aware of. You are in, in Philadelphia as we speak with the team at Citizens Bank Park. And I learned that pregame they play part of the 1970s soul funk classic. TSOP, The Sound of Philadelphia by yes. SB. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> that, that, I, I love it. I actually stopped what I'm doing. There are two things I stopped what I'm doing for in Philadelphia. That, and even though I need to run down to the um, clubhouse to get post-game interviews, Harry Callis singing high hopes whenever the Phillies win. It's always a good thing. I mean, just hearing that, and they play him on the uh, on, on the scoreboard. And the first time I heard it, I, I could not believe it because I'd heard this voice all my life, and I didn't realize that he would um, carry a tune in public. <laughs> and I'm sure you can too. So. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. And high hopes is exactly what I think Rockies fans have right now in this good start. And uh, you know, on that note, Thomas, thank you once again for coming on to Fangrass Audio. Hey, thanks for having me here. I mean, it's going to be an interesting year in the National League West. Yeah, go Rockies. And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Fangrass Audio. Hey, welcome back to Fangrass Audio. I'm Ben Clemens, joined by Dan Zimborski. And hey, Dan, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty well. And uh, I know we just heard from Thomas Harding. How do you feel about the Rockies this year? That was the excited tone in my voice. I I have mixed feelings about the Rockies. I don't think they're run well, but they're playing, you know, decently well. I mean, yeah, they've actually been outscored, but they're winning games. They actually have some decent second-tier talent in the offense right now. You know, guys like Cron, Iglesias, McMahon. If I'm being mean, I'll say Chris Bryant. Uh, <laughs> now, the outfield defense is a little interesting for a Coors Field that has a Bryant Gritchick Blackman outfield, but you know, they're winning games, and so I can't be too mean yet. I will be though. Yeah. I don't know. Like I think their pitching's okay. Which is well, the pitching's always fine. It's that's that's the funny thing about the Rockies. They figured out the pitching part in cores, but they can't figure out the let's just get offensive guys who aren't terrible plans. It's a yeah. weird problem to have. I mean, I think you would agree that Chris Bryant is not terrible. No, no, no. He's not terrible, but when you talk about long term, is he really more than that much more than a mid range corner outfielder when you include defense? God, corner outfielder. I mean, that's a whole different ball of yarn. I think Chris Bryant's a pretty useful player, but I think he's a lot more useful when you can go put him where he's needed. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm happy he's getting paid, but I wish it was the Cubs who were overpaying him to kind of compensate. Yeah. Alright, I, I think I agree with you on that. I don't think Connor Joe is the long term answer there. Yeah, it's like crashing at your friend's house and like ordering all sorts of pay TV movies on their on their account and then just leaving them with the cable bill. That's kind of like the Cubs, Bryant, and the Rockies. <laughs> the, the Cubs were crashing on the Rockies' couch. They got the Bryant benefit. And the Rockies are just like, oh, look, our cable bill is $350. Doop -a -doop -a -doop. That's my imitation of the Rockies. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with you. I really applaud their intent to put a good team on the field every year. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing. I take issue with their, their methods at times, and obviously you do as well, but nobody's going to act like they're not trying to win. You know, they, they spend money and it does often go the wrong places, but when they hit, they try to keep their guys. CJ Crone is going to be there for a while, I think. And he's good. Yeah. Why can't, why can't this diagram of, of like lower revenue markets, like, you know, a circle of good intentions and a circle of good process 
Right. <laughs> Just merge them. Why are they not overlapping anywhere? You've been to a game in Colorado. It's great. I have been. I love it there. It's very nice. It's one of my favorite like stadium experiences. I think it's really well done. Oh, I love Denver, too. Yeah, the, great The weather city. is great. If it was convenient family-wise, that's probably a city I like to live in. Yeah, the backdrop of, of everything is just so, like, just makes you feel happier because all those mountains are around. They look so cool. I'm very into everything about the Rockies except the players they decide to spend money on and trade. <laughs> Plus, I mean, last time uh, I was at Denver, I was kind of stoned for, like, an entire week. Legally. Legally, too. There have been illegal things, but this one was legal, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, that certainly doesn't detract from the natural beauty of the place. It makes, like, some of those Rocky teams a little more interesting. It's like, dude, White Castle gets gets tempting. The Rockies get, like, man, look, Charlie Blackman. Look at that dude. I have a Charlie Blackman X-Wing pilot bobblehead from Star Wars Day that I went to when I was just randomly in Denver and thought, oh, you know, Star Wars Day in New York, which is where I lived at the time, is always 150 bucks for the cheapest ticket. I wonder what the cheapest ticket here is, and it was $9. Yeah, I have a, I have a Eugenio Suarez uh, bobblehead from a Reds game a few years ago. I wasn't really entitled to one because I was uh, in there with credentials, but at the end of the game, there was, there, they didn't actually get rid of all of them, and there was just a huge pyramid of them, and they said, oh, just go ahead and take one. Allow me to tell you a quick Rocky story before we get off the uh, the beat. My dad and I went to Denver for a wedding, for a family wedding, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I was not a baseball writer, but we decided at the time, I was working in New York, but I decided to go to a game because, you know, we're, we're in Denver. And we get there, we go to the box office, and as I'm walking up, this woman goes up, come, walks up to me and is like, hey, tickets, you want tickets to the game, free tickets to the game? And I was like, this is a scam. I'm going to go walk up to the box office and pay the $5 or whatever because the game's not a sellout. <laughs> so I walked up to the box office and they were like, that woman behind you works for the team and she's trying to give you free tickets. <laughs> they just like, they kind of understood that it was the second inning when we got there and the stadium wasn't a sellout. And so they were just like, yeah, you can have a ticket, like go in, like buy some beer, have fun. It was great. Like they, they really understand how to put on a great show and think that the stadium experience has run really well. I love the Rockies. I wish they made better decisions. Would go again. Huge fan of Denver. So we, we have been very positive about the Rockies. Yeah. Especially me. I haven't said anything that's borderline libelous. Yeah, I think that I've mostly left that to myself. Or is it slander? Which one's written? Which one's spoken? Is slander the spoken or the written? The libel's the written. Slander. I think libel's written. Okay, so I'm, I, didn't, I didn't slander the Rockies. Although I could be writing things down and then reading them. <laughs> I think you can write whatever you want as long as it's for your consumption only. That feels cheating. So speaking of, I mean, this is not actually speaking of cheating, but... Alleged cheating. Speaking of possible philosophical cheating. Ooh, where are we going with this? Oh, I don't know, but I was, I was just, I was trying to, I was trying to, you know, push your segue card a little. Well, I was trying to think of ejections because uh, we are recording this while Mets Cardinals is on, and you know, being ejected from the game is not necessarily for cheating. I think that that's on me. That's not how it works. But the Mets Cardinals series has raised some interesting questions to me about uh, how baseball's rules work. But when would it be considered cheating? Like, if you go out and punch a picture in the face so that you don't face them? Like, say Jake DeGrom is healthy. I mean, we're pretending mm -hmm. there's a, a healthy DeGrom. Okay, it's it's the first inning. He struck out the first two guys. He hits the third guy. If you go up there to punch him, is it still cheating if you're getting him out of the game or just because you're mad? Is <sighs> Do you have that, that mens rea of cheating to make it count? I kind of think so, right? Like, if... They could establish that you basically hit him, not because you're being a dumb baseball player who, I mean, they just shouldn't have fighting. 
It feels like a douchebag loophole. It does. But whether it's cheating or not, the Cardinals and Mets are in a strange, like, beanball war right now, except that they're all unintentional. And, <laughs> like, most of the people aren't actually that mad about them. I've found it very enjoyable because, I don't know, like, often I don't enjoy beanball wars because they just involve people doing dangerous things on purpose and, like, trying to hurt other people. And that's bad. But the Cardinals and Mets seem to just be, like, looping in pitches and, oh, boy. Speaking of which, uh, there was just a brushback as we were talking. Well, I mean, there there is some Mets Cardinals history if you go back to the 80s. There is. My dad hates the Mets for unclear reasons because he's a big Cardinals fan. He calls them pond scum. I don't I don't really. It's before my time. Now, now that I think of it, how many of those players would actually have been alive to remember? Oh, yeah. No. I'm just trying to think. Oh, yeah. They remember it from being kids. Like, oh, wait. 1986 was 36 years ago yeah Jeez. i mean steven Matz might remember some of it because he's from the new york area but for him it probably matters more that you know he beefed with steve cohen and that he's been on both teams do you think the offer to give a car would be a good thing because i don't even know if it's true but somewhere on on twitter today twitter has gotten the idea that steve cohen is giving out cars for home runs off of steven Matz, and i have no idea where that originated from but Twitter seems to think it's true. And, you know, obviously Twitter is the is the most legitimate source of information ever. So do you mean would it be good for the Mets? Chances of beating Mets? Do you think we're it's kind of bordering on something unethical? No. No, absolutely not. It's a Mets owner offering incentives for doing well. True, if he was offering it's... a car for like hitting Mets with a baseball, then yeah. But it's kind of an off the books contract. And it's not being counted for luxury tax. Oh, I assume I assume that that part might be ethically gray and that maybe they'd have to report it as like a bonus or something. I don't really know how that works. Yeah, because I, I, I think because, you know, I don't know, that, that seems to be a slippery slope where you can, for example, because it's almost like an incentive clause, so to speak, because there's no, there's a rule about incentive clause for actual accomplishments. And that, yeah. that seems like it'd be a crazy loophole to get around things, because imagine you could say, OK, uh, we've agreed to a 10 year, 10 million dollar contract with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But we're also going to then afterwards you say, but we're going to buy him an 80s Lamborghini Countach every time he hits a home run for the next 10 years. Right. So obviously taken to an extreme, this is not okay. And you could argue that it's not even maybe great for the Mets if everybody's selling out for home runs trying to get a car. Yeah, although I don't know. You'd, you'd probably have to vary it up. I don't know if you can find like 300 Lamborghini Countaches. And I don't even, I don't know what if Vlad wants that many. Be like, why do I have this same car over and over again? Why did I agree to this? Yeah, maybe there's some or cash equivalent. But yeah, I think that it's fine. Like, I don't think it's real. I think that there probably are rules against this. But if it was a one-off, I think that'd be very funny. I wish it would come out if it were true. It's hard to hit a home run off Matt's. Incidentally, he's kind of a ground ball guy. Yeah. But anyway, I don't like the beanball wars either. I don't think they really gain anything for anyone because it doesn't it doesn't make the product better for fans. Nobody has like a breakout season because they were hit with a pitch. If anything, it's bad. They get hurt. Yeah. So I don't know if you were watching the game as it developed, but Yeah, I'm a fl I'm a flipper. That's that's the problem yeah. with me. I, I am always got ten things going on at once. So early in the game there had been two kind of like milk with toast, like just inadvertent hit by pitches. I think Oh, it was uh, James McCann. Got hit in, like, the leg or something. In a situation where it was obviously an accident. And then a Cardinals guy, Brendan Donovan, maybe, got hit in the arm on a 3-2 pitch. 
Like, whatever. You know, the pitch missed. And he, he was kind of hanging near the zone, as a lot of players do these days. And then Cody Whitley hung a changeup, like, really badly and hit Pete Alonso in the helmet. And that's obviously not okay. That's bad. It was inadvertent. It was a changeup. Like, he wasn't headhunting or anything. But you shouldn't have that little command of your pitches that you hit somebody in the head. And I know in Korea, you can get ejected for that. I think you are automatically ejected for that, perhaps. And great. Yeah, that seems like a good rule. But the umpire came out and warned the benches. So this is actually what I wanted to ask you about. Hence the long windup. So the next inning, Adam Ottavino came into the game and hit the first batter he faced. Um, <laughs> it was not on purpose. Yeah, I mean, Ottavino, I think that, I mean, his control is not that great. It's not like he's Bob Tewksbury. Yeah, and he did the the classic like a back foot slider that hits their back foot. So like, okay, fine. I thought a bench warning meant that if you hit somebody, you were out. But I guess not. So what happened is that the Cardinals were just like, yeah, whatever. Like, great, free base runner. <laughs> and so the game continued. Gets to the ninth inning. The Mets load the bases. And a Cardinals pitcher, Aaron Brooks, it looks like, hit Starling Marte to drive in a run. And Buck Showalter came out just screaming. Like, I can't believe that, like, they're they're headhunting my guys. And it's like, well, I don't really think that's the case either. Like, if you're going to go after somebody, you don't do it with the, the bases loaded. When it's unclear why you would be hitting people for retaliation when the other team's the mad one. But again, the umpire did not throw anyone out of the game. So I just don't think I know what a bench warning means. Somewhere in the rules, I believe that there is a bench warning, you know, a warning to managers that subsequent violations. So is the idea that if you throw at someone with intent after a bench warning, you'll be thrown out of the game? It's a little vague, and I think it's meant to be wide open so that the umpires can be completely arbitrary because baseball likes that for some reason. Yeah. So, like, clearly, if you throw at someone with intent, you should be thrown out of the game. I don't yeah. think anyone thinks that's not the case. If you purposely go up and hit somebody, and the intent of this is not to play baseball, but to hit them with a baseball to hurt them and otherwise protect your team's honor and integrity, you should be thrown out of the game. Like, obviously. Yeah. There's no benefit at this point. If you want to have like a duel after the season, like have like a boxing match or something, then go for that, depending on the contract. Yeah. Now, it was it was Aaron Brooks that was involved. Now, that makes me think if Aaron Brooks broke out, is the name Aaron Brooks the most successful name in major sports? Because there would be a baseball Aaron Brooks who was competent, a basketball Aaron Brooks and a football Aaron Brooks. I mean, it's probably just, you know. Is there another name you can think of? Not the same guy. You can't just count Dion as two sports. Oh, I was going to either do that or just say Yeah, that's Babe cheating because they're not the same person. None of these, <laughs> none of the Aaron Brooks's are the same person. Okay, so the most successful name, like in terms of cumulative accomplishments across all sports, is Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, but it has to be like power speed number. Like, you know, it has to be a balance of home run and speed. Oh, you have you to be good in all the sports. Okay. Yeah, you have to have someone who's good. You have to like, you can't say Babe Ruth. And then have there be two other Babe Ruth in sports. I don't think there were. Like Joe Smith. I was thinking Joe Smith. The Joe Smith basketball player was pretty good. And the Joe Smith baseball player. He's all right. But I think you need to kind of have like an even. It might be someone named Williams, maybe. I don't know. That's something to think about. That if is. any listeners have an idea on who the, the power speed number of name across major sports is. This is great. Aaron Brooks is a pretty good one. Yeah, because he was a good NBA player, a good NFL player. I mean, not legends or anything, but if this Aaron Brooks could break out, this Aaron Brooks isn't very good yet. This is the worst one, right? Yeah, Aaron Brooks MLB is 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 the worst one. He continues to hang around for some reason or another. Well, I think Aaron Brooks basketball player is not incredible. Yeah, but he's better than Aaron Brooks, the Cardinals picture. Yeah, so he played essentially 10 seasons in the NBA. Not quite, because he played for the Guangdong Southern Tigers for a year in there. 
which I guess should tell you a lot about how his basketball career went. He was all right. Yeah, but he, I mean, he, he was a full-time starter for the Rockets. And Brooks has never, Aaron Brooks, the baseball player, has never really had any kind of full-time job. Who did he play for in Korea? Oh, he played for the, the Tigers, the Kia Tigers, where he was excellent, actually. Although he was uh, kicked off the team for something that would be legal in Denver. Oh, I, did, I, I actually did not know that. I just learned that right now. And that is why he is back in the U.S., it seems like. So we're back to weed. So it's this is the weed episode. <laughs> this is, um, I guess, continuing on a topic, but a quick pivot. Do you think Aaron Brooks is going to be good? Which, which Aaron Brooks? Baseball. The others are not current. <laughs> I don't think Zips did. Did Zips? Strangely, he doesn't have a live Zips projection on the website right now. Oh, did I not do one for that? But I thought you had a preseason one for him. I thought I did too. I'm slowly opening it up as we discuss this. It's the kind of thing I should probably know since they're my projections. It's like, I don't know what the Zips guy did. Uh, yeah, he did not have a preseason Zips projection. There you go. No, I did not. That is actually surprising. But it's interesting. The Cardinals have done pretty well at bringing people back from foreign leagues. They've just had a pretty decent pipeline there. Yeah, you, Michaelis, who's also involved in the uh, oh, yeah. current controversy a little bit. Sung Wan Oh, pretty excellent. You can't forget the the final boss. Big fan. He was one of my favorite uh, favorite Cardinals of recent vintage because he had the best nickname. I liked Stone yeah. Buddha, too. That was his other nickname. Yeah, as I said, you can never forget that nickname. It's it's a good nickname for a player, really for a closer is. especially. The problem is, is if you're not the closer, then the <laughs> nickname doesn't work. You're just kind of like the mini boss. Semi-final boss, yeah. <laughs> or or like, you know, the henchman boss. Yeah, so I, I appreciate their uh, commitment to going and getting players back from overseas, be it like overseas professional leagues and having them be pretty good. I am not convinced that it's going to work with Brooks. He's definitely not my favorite of the group. I think Drew Verhig is pretty good. I, I was disappointed that Kwang Hyun Kim went back overseas. I would have. Oh, I, I really thought yeah. that he still had potential. That I definitely was... should have included him. I don't blame him for a minute. He's getting yeah. good money to live where everyone speaks the same language as him. And I don't know, like, he's a great pitcher, you know? He's a really good major league pitcher. True. But I'm selfish. We we got him for, I guess, a year combined when, yeah. you, when you add up his, his innings. He was very fun to watch. And he had an ERA under three in the majors. How many pitchers with any kind of significant playing time in the majors get to end up with that? That's true. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm actually going to look at that right now while yeah. we talk. I think he is actually like, I mean, obviously his ERA outstripped his FIP by a good bit. And yeah. He had more walk issues than you'd think of. Like he had an above, he had a worse than average walk rate, which is kind of weird for a command first pitcher. True, but the runs he didn't allow didn't exist, and he didn't stick around for the regression, so... But I actually think he was... I think that if he had pitched 10 years, he would have been a guy who's, uh, whose ERA beat his fit. I think so, too. He had excellent, like, command. You can say maybe not excellent control. He threw a lot of pitches outside of the strike zone, but he missed the fat part of the plate a lot at a level that I think was significant. He was really fun to watch. He threw 75 pitches. Yeah, I'm sad that we don't get to watch him. And I do think that the lockout had a lot to do with that, you know? If you got offered a deal to go back to where you live and speak the language that you speak if you're playing overseas and you didn't know if you're going to get an obviously good major league job in the interim <laughs> yeah i would leave too yeah it was it was kind of a mess i was i was surprised to see that be, be because of the strike i really kind of thought that suzuki might have put it off a year to his credit he really stayed determined with that yeah i'm really happy that suzuki's in the majors a he's really fun and b if i were him i probably wouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> stuck it out yeah i mean that was a mess it's like i'm gonna go to the u.s now oh good I'm, I'm i'm locked out already yeah and he's like i don't think he's actually one of the best 15 hitters in baseball 
or whatever. But it's but it's fun. But it's really he's fun. A, he's got an OPS over a thousand that makes it more. I mean, obviously it's a small sample, but these numbers count, and it means it's slightly more likely that we underrated him than overrated him. So I'll take it. I always think the issue with players coming over for foreign leagues is that. Well, you can translate the overall level of competition well. It doesn't quite work that way. And there's a bigger risk than average that their particular mix of what they're doing just doesn't translate cleanly. Like, obviously, it's much easier to project A, prospects, but B, specifically major leaguers, because they've already faced major league competition. Yeah, it's kind of like how, like, your best place nearby for tacos, they may not be the best place nearby for burritos as well. Even if it's, like, similar quality, there's there's some burrito-specific expertise. That taco expertise may not necessarily translate directly. Yeah. I'm not a, you know, projection system maker, but I would imagine that the error bars are just a lot higher for people with foreign league experience. Yeah. The good thing is that we have a lot of data by this point for Japan, for players going over there, players yeah. coming back here. And that happens at the minor league level too. All those all those minor leaguers who go over there, we have their minor league translations versus Japan. And that still works as as an effective tool. So we do know a lot. And we're learning more about KBO all the time. I just dread when I'm going to have to project someone from the uh, the honkball hoof class yeah. or however you say it. Honkball but hoof class? Definitely close enough. Honkball hoofed class. I still think that that even if you had really great data and players going back and forth for a long time, that it would just be more variable. There's just more stuff yeah. for them to adjust to. Because it's a, it's a different style in, a, in addition to different difficulty. Yeah, and like particularly in KBO, but also in NPB, the mix of players is just so different from the majors. It's prospects and 37 year olds in a way that that just is not in MLB. Like, it's just so much more varied the competition you face that I think the skills that make you succeed are just a little different. I think that's natural when you're talking about different levels. I mean, you go down to the low minors, it's like that. Yeah. You go even farther down, like, to college and high school. Right. I just think that, like, AAA is pretty close to the majors in style. And so it's a lot, like, the rough level of NPB is AAA-ish. It's a little better, I think. Yeah, but, I mean, the style is similar. I mean, the variance is still pretty high, but the style is similar simply because the same teams that are going to have them in the majors are training them in the minors a certain way. Yeah, so there's always a risk with a player coming over from Japan that they're just going to, like, the skills that made them so good in Japan just won't quite translate. I think the odds of that being the case with Suzuki, like, I always kind of thought that there was a, I don't know, 5 to 10% chance that he was, like, just not what the projections thought, and then there's a pretty good chance that he was just a really good hitter, because... I mean, if you look at the projections, everyone thought he'd be a really good hitter. And I think the odds that he's just, like, not a major league fastball hitting type guy are just, like, not zero, but pretty close to zero now, right? Like, he's just shown that he looks, like, comfortable at the very least. The odds that he's going to be just a complete bust who is never capable of putting up a hot streak of this magnitude are zero. Like, he clearly he's capable of it. And I'm glad one thing about joining a team like the Cubs is there was no attempt to kind of tinker with integrating him into the lineup. Sometimes when teams have Japanese players or players from Korea, they end up sitting on the bench way too much when what they really need to be doing is seeing Major League pitching. Yeah. And experiencing it because they don't have an experience in AAA minors. And the, the Cubs... Also, part of it is because the team isn't that good. They've put him in every single game, I believe. Yeah, what do you mean to give this guy $85 million and then sit him for Nico Horner? Well, you know you know how teams are sometimes. Nico Horner is like, better than a lot of the guys the Cubs are playing. That's unfair to Nico Horner. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, you were so mean. Let's try this again. What are you going to do? Give him $85 million and then sit him for Michael Hermosillo? I like keeping the mean one so I can be mean to you in return. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does help that he got a big contract. Like, I think Hassan Kim got a little bit screwed around by the Padres. The CJ Abrams promotion, when they don't even want to play him every day and he's not ready to play in the majors. Yeah, it was it was kind of awkward. It's like, what's going on here? Like, you, you guys paid a bunch of money for this dude who you think is really good and plays a great defensive shortstop. What if what if you used him as your defensive shortstop? But yeah, I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised by Suzuki. He's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say about it than that. I wish the Cardinals had signed him. Like clearly, he's great. I think back to uh, Hyun Soon Kim uh, with the Orioles. Obviously, he didn't make an eighty-five million dollar contract or anything, but they did sign him for a couple years, and they did kind of jerk him around, using him as a pinch hitter, bring him in and out of games. I don't really think he ever got super as comfortable as he could have been in the majors. And so I was kind of disappointed at that. Yeah, that's definitely a risk. And it's definitely a bigger risk the less you sign for and the better your team is. And the Orioles were pretty good then, right? Yeah, they they were. And that that's always another. Well, at the, at the start of it, they were. I'm yeah. Tra- I'm trying to remember. <laughs> see, over time, all the years start to run together. I kind of dismissed that as a kid because in a kid, you remember each year is kind of like an individual thing. Like I was in sixth grade when X happened. I was in third grade when H happened. But. I was doing pretty much the same thing in like 2013 as I was in 2017. So I don't really have a lot of great markers for that. Yeah. So it looks like um, he was only on the Orioles in 2016 and 2017. Yeah. So they weren't great then. And he didn't really play full time. So yeah, I got nothing. That doesn't seem great. I think they were good the first year. I need to look yeah. it up. Yeah. 89 and 73. I just got it. Okay. Wow. So yeah. They were, they were competitive. And he was good that year for them. Yeah. It seems weird to think of the Orioles as being good. They've just been so terrible. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew this, but there was a, there was a span in the 2010s. So not that long ago when they had the best record in the AL over the last three years. Yeah, I think from I think if you go 2012, 2014, they did. Yeah, that must be. But the thing is, they were so incompetent before and so lousy since that it's actually wiped out all the good memories. Yeah. The Orioles were fun in those days. I mean, you had Adam Jones. You had Chris Davis before he was Chris Davis. Young Machado was very fun, like you said. Yeah. It was a fun team. Young young Manny Machado. I mean, even their secondary talent was fun. This was peak J.J. Hardy. But the lousiness of the Orioles before and since is kind of wiping out those memories. So, Dan, if my mom is listening, which she may or may not be, she was a big Orioles fan for a long time, grew up in the Northern Virginia area, and she's since switched to the Nats. I mean, it's kind of the more natural fan base for her anyway she's like in nats territory but she rooted for the orioles until like 2012 or 2013 and then switched over to the nats and now she's just in a point where like switching back is no good the orioles are still i don't think you can switch you can't switch back that's that's against the rules i think you're allowed to have the orioles as a second team if you're a nats fan because she has a lot of memories of the orioles you know okay i guess that's fair because i'm an orioles and steelers fan yeah and I think as long as they're not like, like if they play each other, you got to decide who you're going to root for. And she would definitely root for the Nats. Does she follow football too? No. Because I'm curious if she's a Commanders, a Commanders fan. fan. Um, My grandma was, but my mom's not a big football person, but she is a huge baseball fan. And I just think it's funny that, you know, she got, she finally stopped like super following the Orioles. Just like she was always a little bit of an Orioles follower and then they melted. And so she stopped. And she switched to the Nats, and hey, they won a World Series. It was great. And now they're terrible, too. We were talking about it, like, last night. And she's like, Juan Soto, he's great. And I was like, yeah, how about the rest of the Nats? <laughs> it's rough to switch fan bases and still have your team be bad. Yeah, what what has what, what does make me sad about the Nats is that Nelson Cruz has not hit well so far. Yeah. I mean, it was always going to come eventually, and I hope it's not now. Me too. But, but the ending is coming. I mean, the ending comes quickly for a 40-year-old. Yeah, and when they have no value in doing anything except hitting home runs and walking, it's... 
It's just tough. The the two skills are often very correlated too. Yeah. Once that starts going, then you they dominate you. I'm not, you know, digging dirt and putting it over the the corpse yet. Yeah, God, I've done that enough times and been wrong. <laughs> now maybe now Alcides Escobar, I, I'm 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 kinda calling that he's not good. But I'm not at the point where I'm going to call that Nelson Cruz is not good. Bold claim. I looked at Nelson Cruz's batted ball data in 2020 and said, that's it. Like, it's already <laughs> it's already eroded. He's hitting too many grounders, and he can't make his game work if he's not getting the ball in the air because he doesn't do anything else. And, you know, that was wrong. I, I feel kind of guilty that I'm, I'm like, I wouldn't say rooting for Alcides Escobar, but, I mean, it's not his fault, but a lot of people were mad at me last fall saying all that Alcides Escobar bashing but look how good he's playing it's like yeah he's he's playing well right now but he's also hasn't played well in the major since like 2014 yeah so he's 34 what do you guys think is going to happen here because I went to college in Virginia I have a lot of Nats fan friends and a few of them were telling me like what do you mean Alcides Escobar is bad and I was like (laughs) look at the contract they signed him to they don't even think he's good the, the, the problem is that the Nats keep getting, like, these sabermetric punching bags who then have really good half-seasons for them. Wait, who else is a sabermetric punching bag? I've liked most of the other veterans. Oh, uh, well, Gerardo Parra, for, for one. Oh, before. yeah, but... I mean, he was bad in Coors, and the Rockies thought he was good, even though he wasn't. He's one, but I think that even Nats fans were like, this guy's not great, but Baby Shark is fun and he's cheap. Maybe. I don't know. I, I get the feeling that some of them thought they were good. So what football team do you root for, if any? Uh, uh, so Packers, because my wife is from Milwaukee. Okay, because I can imagine, you know, being a Cardinals fan, that there'd be a complicated St. Louis-based rooting situation. Oh, so if you want the whole, like, history of it, I grew up in Tennessee, but the Titans weren't around. And so I picked up the Rams. Are there Titans fans? Yeah. Oh, yeah, plenty. Okay. But they're either, so like a lot of my friends in high school were Titans fans because they had been University of Tennessee fans and they just added the Titans when the Titans moved there. Because like you didn't really have any other pro teams in Tennessee, Falcons, whatever. I picked up the Rams when they moved to St. Louis because my family's from, my dad's from St. Louis and I'm a big Cardinals fan. I especially was then. And so I picked up the Rams and then they played the Titans in the Super Bowl like right away. And so I had to take a firm stance as not being a Titans fan. So I never really followed them. Kind of lost faith in the Rams when, I don't know, they hired Jeff Fisher essentially and have given up. And so I root for the Packers because my wife is a very big Packers fan. We invited Aaron Rodgers to our wedding. He he did not even decline. He just didn't show. Rude. It is rude. But you have a connection. You're not a fraud. Speaking oh, yeah. of frauds. Oh, nice. I <laughs> might have been defrauded this morning. Yeah, you might get, if you are in the United States, you might be receiving packages from Ben Clemens, but yeah. they're not from Ben Clemens. I think actually to Ben Clemens, I think I'm being shipped to fraudulently. It's it's a very confusing deal. Someone made a FedEx account using some of my details, but only like my email address, which I guess they just guessed, but like the rest of their info and then it's being shipped to them. <laughs> but I spent a good hour on the phone with FedEx trying to figure out like, what's going on here and finally the woman who was helping me out just said look people do this a lot and we don't actually think it's useful like i don't actually think it helps them at all yeah i'm trying to figure out what the fraud is yeah it feels like a practice run of fraud like like they didn't really think about how it worked like saw it like in a tv show or something yeah so what happened here is that they didn't actually get any of my information but i got a lot of theirs 
So you can steal their identity. I think I could. And, then you, and then you can have like a trade back. Right. So I, I don't Look, quite understand Rick. what happened, but I did spend an hour on the phone to FedEx this morning, bouncing around, trying to figure out the right division, largely because I couldn't understand it. And the people I was talking to couldn't either. They said, well, like, did they use any of your credit card information? And I said, well, no. <laughs> well, like, did they, did they charge you anything? Oh, definitely not. Like, well, are they like sending you things? No. Are they sending things using your name? No. So I think I was defrauded, but I don't think very <laughs> successfully. That's not a good crime when the person doesn't realize it's a crime. It's like, yeah, nothing, nothing happened. I've had like not really identity theft. I've just had humorous uses of my email. <laughs> you wouldn't think there'd be a lot of D Zimborskis out there, but there are a few. There's Don Zimborski, who is actually in Tennessee. Not Don, classic Don. Classic Don. Apparently, his employer at some point point thought that dzimborski at gmail.com was his email address it's for an hvac company uh so they were including me in in some company discussions normally i wouldn't i just ignore it but they were talking about a policy change uh they had like this employee tracking system for hvac technicians like for their time to account for all their minutes and <laughs> they wanted to like up it to make it like extremely just rude like tracking bathroom visits lunch breaks all that stuff and i i spoke up against it and i argued against it for like a week <laughs> and i i think i was doing pretty well i had some guys on my side uh but eventually they figured out that dan zaborski and not don zaborski <laughs> i mean they emailed me what did to do Another time, Dave Zimborski of North Carolina thought that his Amazon account email was my email. Uh, so I'd get all his his alerts for things. So he purchased kind of a Nerf gun. So I canceled his order. I reset his password. I logged into his account and I resent it to him with the same payment information. And I just included a gift card. This is not your Amazon email address. <laughs> I think I I think he got the message. I never heard from him, but it, it's weird. All those Zimborskis should probably know each other since it's not yeah. exactly a common name. That's true. It seems very rare. But I'm not super close with my dad's family. He died young, and I was always closer with my mom's family. So I really don't have a lot of Zimborski knowledge that would help me wade through these situations. So on the topic of name commonality, I assume no one can spell your name right. The problem is it seems that people are misspelling my first name. Yeah, that's fair. But I'm saying, like, if you give your name to someone at, like, a, I don't know, a store or something. Oh, I I, I always I always spell it S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. I always, yeah. I always spell it out. And I've even learned when I'm doing, like, Canadian radio to say S-Z-Y. Nice. That's the mark of a pro. No one can spell my name right. Do they do, like, C-L-E-M-O-N-S? Yeah, or two M's and an O. But just no one. Who, it, but it's it, crazy. But that's, who spells it with two M's and an O? Is that even a spelling? I guess of it? it's somewhat common in the South. <sighs> yeah, I guess it is from the there's a Clemones, North Carolina. Yeah, but like it's weird to me because my name is spelled pretty close to phonetically. And it's it's short, it's seven letters, and it doesn't have any weird sounds. And it, yeah, just, people can't spell it even a little bit. People have to agree on spellings, I think. You can't have like different spellings as Anne. I hate the Zacks. Oh, yes. That one's bad. Yeah. And the low Lao one is not good either. Yeah. I, I just call them both low Lao because I don't know which one is which. I can always, I always forget who's Lao, who's low. I don't want, you know, Josh Lowe to come and say, oh, it's actually it's Josh Love. Like, <laughs> like, no, it's going to be one or the other. My feeling is that they should go along with Zach and do it CK. Yeah. And anyone who sticks with CH, they're just going to be Zach for now on. What if it was just Z-A-C? Like, what if you just weren't allowed to go past three letters? I'd be fine with that, too. I would be. I don't know if there's any agreement on, on the Zach front. I think if you get enough Zachs, to, you could get them to agree on K. K does seem like the most common. I'll give you that. But 
ZAC sounds like you have to play the like drums in a new metal band. That's fair. So uh, my name is so hard to spell. My wife and I have a LLC. It's fun to have an LLC. And it's like 20 bucks a year or something to register it. In is it called Clemens and Clemens LLC? Oh, no. Well, she... Clem squared? She's not a Clemens, but... My darling Clemens time? Uh, it's named after our dog, so... Oh, okay. Not great, but uh, we... Had a lawyer dude uh, drop the paperwork, and he sent us the paperwork with my name spelled wrong. And so I said, hey, my name's spelled wrong here. Like, do, do you mind correcting it? And so he sent it back. And it looked good. And then he submitted it with my name spelled wrong. And so I, I don't know. Like, it's just impossible for people to spell right. So now my business has my name spelled wrong. You probably won't be able to find records of this, but uh, it's wild. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's apparently an impossible name to spell. It should be so easy. The most famous person with my name spells it the same way as me. The two most fam- famous people with my name spell it the same way as me. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, Roger Clemens, people spell Roger Clemens right. So why can't they just translate their knowledge of Roger Clemens to Ben Clemens? And Samuel Clemens, even more famous. Well, he's more famous as Mark Twain. That's fair. He's more famous as Mark Twain. But if they know him as Samuel Clemens, my middle name is Samuel, incidentally. My dad thinks he's really funny. Then you probably should have had a pen name of Twain, and then it could have been comparable. Yeah. I do like the artistic stylings of Samuel Clemens. I, I enjoyed his satire of the Gilded Age. But... Yeah, I, I think that'd be a little bit too on the nose. But yeah, I don't know. My name can never be spelled right. I I am not shocked yours can't be. And that's well, why I'm e- most impressed that someone managed to bad fraud me because they spelled my name right in doing so. I have a friend. I'm going to say his name because it's it's necessary for the uh, the, the story. Uh, his name is Mike Michael Cardiff. Okay. And years and years ago, we were at Radio Shack back when Radio Shack was a thing. Uh, we had these things called malls then, Ooh. which which yeah, they were they're like these enclosed buildings with stores inside and like a food court i mean you wouldn't get arrested it was just a lot of restaurants so uh we, we went to radio shack and they asked for your name for something and he gave them his name and they didn't understand the name and his last name was cardiff and it just kept saying diff diff mike cardiff so radio shack somehow thought his name was diff curtis <laughs> And he received so much junk mail for like 15 years from different companies for Diff Curtis. Names are funny. I mean, my mom wanted to name me Alexander. My dad didn't like the name Alexander. Dad wanted to name me Vincent. And I don't think Vinny Zimborski sounds that good. But I could have been Xander Zimborski. A double Z. Z. And I would have spelled it with a Z, even if it's an X. Well, on that note, I think we should call this one an episode because we've gotten pretty far from our initial topic of, I don't even know anymore. Well, the topic is Ben and Dan, and as long as we're Ben and Dan, we're on topic. The Rockies, um, what does warning the benches mean? Uh, we, we didn't really have an initial topic to start with, but thank you, listeners, for listening to God only knows how many minutes of us ramble about our own lives, <laughs> which are probably more entertaining to us than to you, but thank you for being here with us to hear about them. For Dan Zimborski, I'm Ben Clemens, and again, thank you for listening. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Thomas Harding for joining us. If you'd like to follow Thomas for more Rockies coverage all season, he is on Twitter at Harding underscore at underscore MLB. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy the program, consider sharing it with a friend or two. It helps us out. After you've swooped on over to that Fangraphs shop, get yourself signed up for the Fangraphs newsletter as well. It is the best way to keep up on all the many great things we are cooking up free to your inbox every weekday. Be excellent to each other, and we'll talk to you next week.